I, um, I don't know whether it's possible to cultivate the style. Nobody is precisely what they think they are. Maybe in the last moments of my life, moments of my life, I will be curious to know what it means to die. Welcome to Folk Phenomenology. My name is Sam Rocha. This is episode nine of season two, featuring special guest. Tracy Salisbury. Folk Phenomenology is generously supported by Whippenstock Publishers, Voice and Truth, from Biblical Studies to Classic Theology, Poetry to Philosophy, our authors are experts, scholars, and artists. St. Mark's College Center for Christian Engagement, nurturing the dialogue between Christians in the life of the academy and that of larger society. Give us this day, daily prayer for today's Catholic. Solidarity Hall, Eden plus Utopia. Black Catholic Messenger, an online publication for black Catholics. U.S. Catholic, faith and real life. Commonweal Magazine, the leading lay voice for commentary on religion, politics, and culture. The Juan Diego Network, Catholic Audio for Latinos. To support Folk Phenomenology, please share this episode, subscribe to the show on your favorite app or platform, and leave a review or drop a tip. You can also follow Folk Phenomenology on Twitter and Facebook. Tracy, welcome to Folk Phenomenology. Thank you. I appreciate you inviting me to be on. Well, you're being really polite there, but uh, as you know, not only is you being a guest on Folk Phenomenology long overdue, um, we're just long overdue a little time of catching up, aren't we? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Yeah, you know, um, absolutely. Absolutely. I actually think some of the personal history here matters just because it's not often the case. And in fact, I don't think it's ever been the case on this show that, uh, I mean, I guess Sophia, my daughter interviewed me for one episode. So there was some history there, obviously, but you know, how do I put it? I don't even know how to frame it. You and I spent uh, two years at Wabash college. Partners in crime on for on Twitter. Yeah, um, we were uh, oh, we were a lot of things, but one one memory I, I recall, and this was your idea, was we co-taught, and I still don't remember how we pulled that off. I think it was kind of one of those off the books things. We co-taught a course listed in the history department that was, I think, titled. Correct me if I'm wrong. Life and voice. Um. Black and Latino voices, life and voice, black and Latino voices. That's what it was. Yeah, that's what it was. That's what it was. And it was framed around 
not only our friendship, but also in the public eye, our passionate disagreements on questions and issues and events. And I remember at one point in time where our students would sit according to, like you would in like a house where they would sit, you know, Roach's side over here. (laughs) (laughs) And we would have, I remember we had the X versus King debate and we had so many different debates uh, in that class. It was so wonderful. Um, Maybe I'll keep telling some stories here to catch us up to this episode. Well, my my other favorite memory is uh, when I did my presentation on hip hop feminism and we oh, scared this auditorium of very nice white colleagues because you and I, <laughs> I were getting ready to get into this very passionate debate about uh, neo soul and and hip hop, and and they were frightened of the conversation because, of course, they couldn't compete in the conversation. But they were surprised at two folks of color being passionate and being friendly and smiling and laughing about our tete tag. But uh, yeah, that's one of my favorite memories as well. That was early. Yeah, I mean, that was early. I, I think that was like week one or two of the term. <laughs> I had recently arrived. I think for a lot of the students there who were not su- surprised or scared, but our students in the Malcolm X Center for Black Studies, you know, who are present, mm-hmm. I think for a lot of them, they're just like, who's the who's the Mexican guy back there yelling at <laughs> Dr. Salisbury? Um, that was something. That was really something in terms of how it framed in, in some ways I'd say that was the beginning mm-hmm. of what then became in a more open way, the class we taught together and so many things we did. Um, and for those listening, this would be 2010 to 2012, mm-hmm. um, two ac- full academic years there. Um, golly, it's been a long time. I'm, I'm thinking now, even outside of our personal relationship, I mean, this is before Trayvon, Mm-hmm. Martin, uh, this is before the, the the Zimmerman acquittal. This is before Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. Well before, obviously, Floyd and Breonna Taylor. And, and we've been through so much. I have to tell you, as you probably already know and have seen, I mean, at the, t- at the time, I think we both, our work and our public, you know, uh, engagement was race conscious, mm-hmm. was uh, abolitionist, was a lot of things. But but I, I see now, and I want to make this public so people know and so you know on the record, I see now certain places in that advocacy work where I could see you kind of be like, okay, Sam, mm-hmm. you just uh, <laughs> keep doing the work. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, um, I, I when I watch that, that old chapel talk, Yep. <laughs> it, it's so it, it's okay, right? It, right? It's it's all right. But I I cringe a lot. <laughs> but I believe you have the golden line that just because uh shit is on the menu, you don't have to eat it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. So so controversial, but I think resonates so much over the last few years. Um mm. yeah. Um I don't, you know, my view of our time at Wabash is I'm I'm grateful for it now. It was mm. a training ground mm. for kind of waking me up to the reality of what academia was. Um, 
that time with you and why I clicked with you because that's what I thought it was and that's what I hoped it was mm. and I wanted it to be this kind mm. of I thought that this exchange of ideas between very well-trained people well-read people and until you kind of arrived on the scene I had been disappointed to not have that mm. but it things that if I said something contrary it was viewed as adversarial and then the response was to try to destroy me as an individual and you were the right. first person that we were, you and John Aiden, who also ended up being chewed up in the Wabash machine, uh, mm. uh, was that. And it was that exchange of ideas where I actually really felt, you know, wow, okay, this is it. And you can do these wonderful things. And because as you remember, I think you got about through two thirds of the class and then they told you you couldn't do the class. And actually right. didn't tell you, they pulled right. me in and they told me to tell That's you, right. which was. Oh, yeah. I will never forget, it wasn't about you teaching the class. It was about the fact that the dialogue was going outside of the class with the students, and the students were raising challenges, and they were saying, well, we're doing this class with Dr. Salisbury. And that's when I realized mm -hmm. there's limits in some ways to the power of education. Because that Yeah, was, and I have to say... Yeah, go ahead. I have to say, in relation to that, I recall that, obviously, vividly, but it was so interesting, though, because, you know, I, I worked with a lot of different constituencies on that campus. I had a weekly reading group at the Newman Center with the Catholic folks, you know, uh, good guys. I had I had probably a warmer relationship than a lot of people would have wanted me to with the commentary, one of the very conservative, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, ISI funded groups. And of course, I had a, a deep, longstanding and immediate relationship with the MXI um you know black students and and the and the and, and and the work in black studies being done there at the time and and of course the rugby team i was coaching them mm -hmm. like i mean we could go on and on it was only though whenever there was black and brown solidarity mm -hmm. in an academic context where any of that was challenged or put down mm -hmm. i mean in all the other contexts that i worked in or what have you there were obviously controversies, but none of them came down the way they came down in that class, which is something. Well, I, I think to me that's one of the tragedies about Wabash is that Wabash had a particular code and talk, but it didn't really apply to everybody. It applied yeah. to certain people. You know, they didn't want black and brown renaissance men because black and brown renaissance, renaissance men, I guess what you would call now, they've ruined the term, would be woke. And we <laughs> were waking those guys up because the you know, for your audience, the cool thing about this course, it was primary sources. And right, so right. it was like, you know, they had to deal with the real deal facts. And then we were coming in with these very free flowing lectures and discussions. Right. And I don't, you know, I have students to this day that took that class that still talk about, you know, wow, that class you wrote you. And that really resonated with them. And, you know, one of the things I've learned, too, as respect for myself and you should have as respect for yourself as an academic, they couldn't do what we did. And that was scary. Mm. To me. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a, you know, I, I have respect for elders, but there was a, something we brought with our training and our interests and our views from a contemporary state that made that class work. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think part of it was definitely maybe the the training and and the the infusion of our particular academic training which came from these kind of interdisciplinary places and spaces i think it was also though that we had uh 
some biographical investments mm -hmm. that at the end of the day are irreplaceable, but we weren't just coming with our anecdotal, you know, like you said, we were coming in with primary documents. We were coming in with disputations based on different source texts, you know, of different periods. And it was, it was a serious conversation. Um, I want to tell you about my, my weekend two weekends ago okay. as a way to kind of, as a way to kind of get us from uh, the, the recollection to now, because I, I know that you'll appreciate certain things about this and maybe this will be our entry into a, a particular topic that we both have interest in. So Museum of Anthropology here at UBC, mm -hmm. supposedly it is like the Museum of Anthropology in the world. And when it comes to indigenous artwork and culture, and in particular, you know, within Canada, First Nations, Inuit and Métis, this is the, you know, crown jewel of anthropology. Also controversial for all the reasons we know of in terms of museumification and in all that stuff. They always have a, a rotating special series, oftentimes also cultural, many times focusing on like very particular Coast Salish peoples or whatever. Mm -hmm. And this last one they had, the way they spelled it was X I C A N X. So Chicano with an X at the front. Mm -hmm. um, and they had a special event where three of the 33 artists of this Chicanx exhibition came to speak with the curators one who is local, one who is from Mexico, neither of the curators being uh, Chicanx, one being Mexican and the other one being from here. Mm -hmm. The reason I say all this is like, well, you know me, uh, um, Mexican-American wow. struggled with the whole Chicano mm -hmm. identity, Chicanidad, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Always saw it as a very clear political moment and a very clear political identity and a very clear urban to me uh, kind of identity coming out of the, you know, the Pachucos and the, and mm -hmm. the kind of more, a little more West coast mm -hmm. for my Texican, mm -hmm. you know, Tejano case. All right. So, so I'm going into this, you know, interested, obviously want to represent for the culture. Right. So I'm there and all three of the artists come two from Texas, one from, one from Colorado. And in their discourse around the thing, one of them described the exhibition, in fact, as a post-Chicano or post-Chicanics exhibition, which was like, all right. And then some of them were talking about themselves as like Chicano as like a cultural identity, like like your grandma would have been called that or something, you know. And then one of them was very clear that like, no, I've, I learned this in high school because I grew up in Denver and that's where a lot of those marches happened and stuff. And so he, he was in the movement. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and the other two, cause I asked them admitted that they came to this identity either through college or in one person's case was like, I really just see myself as an artist. And because I'm Mexican American, they put me in this category, but I'm mm -hmm. not like my grandma wasn't that. And so I'm there, I'm there with Sophia, by the way, with my daughter. And, uh, and we watched this whole, it was like two and a half hours, tour, lecture, conversation. And then afterwards, I come home thinking about this. And I'm like, okay, it's time to go clear my head a bit. I'm going to take the boys to go see the new Black Panther, Wakanda mm -hmm. Forever. And this was, for me, you know, chance to 
to not to you know to relieve myself of my debts to the culture a little bit you know and uh and and entertain myself in the marvel universe and of course support you know my uh black brothers and sisters in the cinema so i go show up and uh and I don't care about spoilers. It's been a while now. If you haven't seen it, that's that's on you. It's not on us. Yet, so, right. <laughs> yeah. So we waited. Um, I get in there. I sit down. I don't read the comics like like you do. I don't know the plot line. I don't know the names and all that stuff. And all of a sudden, we're not in Africa. We're not in the U.S. We're not in the U.K. We're not in Europe. We're not at the U.N. We're in Mexico and we've got like, you know, Huerta, like a full blown mestizo Mexican dude <laughs> playing the major anti-hero role. And I was like, oh, I came here to relax. I had no idea that I was going to be, <laughs> I had no idea that the culture was going to be, you know, a part of this story. So anyway, I, 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 I was I left just kind of blown away because the, it was the combination for me, right, of the Chicanx uh, MOA and then followed immediately by this surprise with Black Panther that it kind of blew me up. I want to talk through the complexities of, at the very least, okay. the Black Panther stuff. I know that you know a lot in terms of, like, West Coast culture and whatnot with respect to Chicanidad and Chicano stuff. So in a weird way, this is my way of reprising what we left behind in Wabash so long ago, a couple Saturdays uh, 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 ago. And that's whenever I told you, we got to record, we got to record, we got to record. <laughs> well, I want to say one thing first. Go for of it. What I see in, in you, know, um, you know, teaching ethnic studies and um, Black folks solidly no longer being the majority minority group. Um, my take is this, is that I see this kind of blacksification of, mm. of the Latino population. Um, that's none of our business. Um, trying to force a label mm. on the Latino, Latina population. I say Latinx because mm -hmm. that's what ac academics are using. But if we look yeah, at yeah. statistics, that term is being barely used by the yeah. majority of the Latino population. Um, yeah. I think, number one, it's because it instantly got tried to be used as a statement for everyone, and that's not what the purpose was. The purpose was right. to be inclusive on an LGBTQ level, and that's as right. far as it should have went. Um, as I tell my students who are predominantly Mexican-American, uh, many are right. have an indigenous uh, background, and many have are Afro-Latino. Um, mm -hmm. coming from rural Bakersfield. Um, mm -hmm. We need to let the Latino population figure this out for themselves. And All I right. don't know if a tag is ever going to work because if yeah. we're having this opening, this awakening of what it is to be Mexican-American or Puerto Rican-American or Dominican-American, um, those are awfully large groups of people to try to put under yeah. one umbrella label. And mm. I don't know whose problem that is, but I don't think it's your cultures. <laughs> I really mm. don't. <laughs> and, and I think that's something you might have to face this splitting because the cultures are too rich. The histories are too rich. 
for you to try to pull it under one umbrella group and you're going to be surprised and the internal issues which we'll get into with black panther about colorism mm-hmm. um about you go. being rural about being uh indigenous you know That's um right. you know you're in vancouver but I, I don't know if you saw the we had the L.A. City Council get into a lot of hot water with some very I saw that. internal racist commentary. Oh, yeah. um, you know, and uh, you know, I just read an article I believe was, might have been Vox or Slate, um, where they were talking about in Black Panthers uh, kind of going over in very funny ways in Mexico. Um, that there's mm-hmm. a lot of backlash about um, Huerta being uh, dark-skinned. Um, mm-hmm. where uh, in the black community um, he's being heralded as a sex symbol and uh, and, and here mm-hmm. a, lot, a lot of a lot of the mm-hmm. Mexican American uh, women uh, are talking you know how hot he is and there's a lot of um, mm-hmm. funny little anecdotes that because it's a Disney picture apparently they put him in those tiny micro shorts and the thing was thanging and so they decided to <laughs> digitally cut it down because it was too much for a nationwide Disney film. And I thought, well, wow. Okay. Um, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. So, you know, once again, that's mm-hmm. something that's applied to black people. That's now being passed on. So that makes me wonder, mm-hmm. you know, do any of us ever get out of this box? Cause you would think the issues would be different, but they're not. So that I want to be clear about is that I think that's part of yeah. what we're dealing with. We're dealing with an extremely large population of people who are establishing their own identity, who are extremely dominant in terms of popular culture, and Hollywood has not figured out how to deal with them any better than it has ever done with black folks. Um, well, I, I, I agree, and I think that like the most like on the lips of at least you know mainstream journalism is this goofy expression called the Latino vote. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. I mean, what? What, what? what is yeah. that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're doing the same thing again. You're saying, so somehow, because, you know, for whatever reason, Latinos can't be conservatives, or Latinos can't be libertarians, or, you know, or, or if Latinos are being progressive, something happened to them. I, I don't, I don't, yeah, 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 you yeah. know, okay, once again, too large of a population for such simplistic designations. Um, I think Black Panther, and I think we shouldn't let them get away from it. Um, a lot of critics were not ready for the complexity, so you weren't blown, blown away alone. I think they were blown yeah. away by the politics of the film themselves and the power of uh, Namor's inclusion. Yeah. Ultimately, whether he's the bad guy or not, you cannot fault him for wanting to protect his people from being colonized and mm. or being destroyed. Um, because right. we had just got the example of how you tried to do it in Wakanda. So, yeah. you know, there's sympathy there. Yeah. You know, the question is how to resolve it. And I right. think in some ways, Namor's going to fall into the Killmonger category. And I was just going to bring that up. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, in a way, from just a, a plot device sensibility. So I think like the redemption of Killmonger is one of the available interpretations of the first film. 
and again, I'm not a marble head. I don't know anything about these comics and all that stuff. You know, that's mm -hmm. not my thing. But, you know, he goes to his rest whole in a way at peace in a way it's not it, he doesn't he doesn't die the 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 death of a full-blown hero he's not even he, in some sense he's maybe a tragic hero of sorts um he really comes across so i think by the end is like a victim of historical circumstance and stuff mm -hmm. and obviously mm -hmm. his hate has consumed him but he ends his life in a good way you could say he has a good death what bothered me the most believe it or not was the um the reemergence of of Killmonger in this unredeemed role in the dream. Well, and I was like, whoa, 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 whoa! That was settled. Why did you bring that? Like, why did that? Why you know? Well, see, I think now look, there's a whole lot going on. There was a critic that actually said Black Panther had too much plot, which I was like, well, maybe he has too much plot for the Twitter 240 words. <laughs> generation but i love the complexity yeah. of it which it needs to be broken down there was so much going on there and i i will give yeah. brian coogler tremendous credit at um if you look at his films he deals with a lot of broken people and yeah. how they're not quite black and white he's very mm -hmm. much in the gray if you see fruitvale station you know his presentation of oscar grant is um very even um, that this is not a, he's not a bad guy. He's a guy who's kind of on the fringes of some things that people may not think is respectable. Um, but he's a good man at the end of the day. And he doesn't deserve to die on a subway platform. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Killmonger is a difficult person because he was left behind. And he was left in the wrong, in, in the wrong circumstances. And he had to fight his way out of it. Um, yeah. But once again, it's sort of like Namor. It's your solution to it is the problem. And ultimately, some of your selfishness in the solution is why you're problematic. Um, you know, but I think he's ideal to come back. What Ryan Cooper did, this is one of the best odes to black women ever. Okay, okay. this film. And it's not, yeah, about, yeah, sure. it's not about Killmonger. It's about Shuri. Yeah. It's about black women's sure. anger. Um, black women... The thing I loved about the film is the reality is, is that all of this crisis, which you talked about before, George Floyd, Trayvon Martin, Tamir Rice, black women are left behind to do the cleanup. Mm. You talk about this tragedy and old black men and black men this and black men that. We never talk about black women being left behind to clean this up and to go on and to decide to mm. go on. And, and the fact that that's tiring and mm. that's weary and that, you know, and they're this resigned that you have to stand up for the race. Why can't black women be angry? Why can't black women be so angry that they want to burn it down? Mm -hmm. And so when they allow Shuri to have this rage and the vision, mm -hmm. which is the vision of when you, this black Panther of what you need or what you're yeah. doing through what you call up, it is not a surprise that she calls up Killmonger because she is yeah. so enraged and she needs so, to hear from this guy. And yes. cause, cause comfort wouldn't have changed her comfort would have made her more dangerous yeah and it would have killed the plot line in a way too yeah that she got hit with someone who was like well if you're gonna do this mm -hmm. go do it don't don't whine about it you know you're yeah. like me you don't want to admit you're like me that you want revenge yeah yeah you know yeah. i don't i don't think you know and i agree with some of your 
remarks about nobility for Killmonger, but that, he he wasn't changing. That's why he he said, you know, when they said we can fix you, and he goes, no, just don't don't fix me. I, I'm going to mm. stay this way. Um, I actually thought it was rather brilliant because it allowed Shuri to be angry, and and yeah. and it gave her. Um, Killmonger gives her back her conscience. I like that. I mean, so this is another issue with Shuri because I do agree. I think I think um, I think she's the main kind of she's the protagonist that has the most kind of going on, um, and it looks like she's going to have the most agency going. I mean, she is the Black Panther now, right? Mm-hmm. So it's you know clearly now she is a hallmark. Um, but there's also this tension between reason and, and religion, mm-hmm. right? So Shuri is a skeptic. She's a secular. She's a scientist. Know, she's a scientist, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so there's the other tension, which is her struggle to not only recognize the sort of broad mystical experience, which she has, but she can't quite admit, mm-hmm. but the other side of, of the respect for tradition, the respect for uh, certain kinds of authority, um, and it's almost like this struggle. Um, yeah, it's, it's like, it's a lot, like a lot of the struggles that we see. And then when you add to that, of course, being a black woman, being kind of frail, younger, you know, all these kinds of, you know, things that come out. Um, it, it really is, I mean, it really sets her up to be, uh, more than really just a hero it's like a case study like, in a way like you know well and, and i don't want to run away from that point you're making about religion um mm-hmm. when you're part of an advanced society that in some ways can overcome most forms of death what you get in this black panther too is this struggle with with life comes death so mm-hmm. it that's why it hits them so hard when it happens um, mm. I thought Cougar did a brilliant move of not explaining how the original Black Panther died. Okay, mm. um, in the comics, uh, he dies from vibranium poisoning, which actually makes okay. brilliant sense. Uh, there's okay. also another way he dies that I can't recall at the moment, because uh, you know these comic universes they get all over the place and depending on who's writing. Um, but uh, which is why it wasn't a guess that Shuri would be Black Panther. The comics uh, make her Black Panther. So, but okay. you know, See, we can know. get into the misogyny and the toxic masculinity behind people's hopes that she wouldn't be. But I was sitting here going, "What are you guys talking about? Who's going to be Black Panther? We already know." Uh, but, <laughs> but okay, um, because there's also people saying it's this, you know, woke establishment. You know, yeah, it got uh, nothing to do with it. The whole yeah, there's a whole nah. series of comics written by the one of the Hudlin brothers who did House Party. Mm-hmm. Um, that's called Shuri, where she becomes Black mm-hmm. Panther. I, I think okay. what's even unique of one of the other twists, she sort of picks the fight with Namor in the comics. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And but in the okay. uh, film, they adjust it a bit and they make it like a mutual. You know, he doesn't want to do it, but I'm going to show you. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, which I think, look, it's um, I think Namor had a better understanding of what war was than Killmonger. Because when oh, Namor says, sure. bury your dead, yeah. and we'll come yeah, back yeah, and have yeah, a yeah. conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. look, I will give both both those characters, Killmonger and Namor, without them, I don't think these two movies are powerful. Hmm. Because they make you question 
yeah what you're doing and can you and getting along with folks does that always matter and that sometimes when you have to remind folks it might come with a punch when you have to remind mm. folks and um you know when you talk about pride how do you have pride if you're not willing to fight for it you know mm. and um and Namor's final message, even after being defeated, is still rather um, it, it, out there and empowering in a Killmonger oh, yeah. kind of way. And I, yeah, I love right. that. Yeah. Yeah, there's... Um, I mean, so I, I think Namor's character does have... It's interesting, too, because just the historical way, like, like Killmonger... I don't think this is a controversial reading of the first of the first film. But there was this sense, like there was a tension in the first Black Panther between the African American black experience, that kind of diasporic, mm-hmm. you know, the X and Malcolm X kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And then this pan-African anti-colonial, decolonial, post-colonial, whatever you want to say, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. utopian. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, the irony is that it's coming out of the American cinematic worldview. So it, for me, cast the African more in the kind of utopian thing than any kind of real return. But then, like, I'm also, because I'm always railing against pan stuff, but I have to remind myself, like, Du Bois did actually literally die in Ghana. Like, he actually was like, I'm done, <laughs> you know, and he's not the first. So for a lot of people, that whole return to Africa thing wasn't just... Marcus Garvey or what have you, you know. Um, oh, but remember about Du Bois, which I think we have to remember people never stay in the same place. And right. so how much grace do we give them? Remember, Du Bois started out with the Talented Ten, which he sure. sort of just pretended, stopped acting like he ever said or agreed with instead of actually rejecting it. And, yeah. you know, and then... uh you know, Ma- uh, Malcolm, you know who I love and you know who I fall in with, but Malcolm's mm-hmm. sexism, uh, particularly his, oh, sure. his his misogyny towards black women gives me the hardest time in the world. Okay? Mm-hmm. I love the man, but that it will always be my scattering red flag in the back. Actually, the misogyny and the sexism of both him and King, which is why I tell mm-hmm. my students all the time, we can love this these men, even if they have clay feet. Mm-hmm. Okay, because they do have clay feet, and that's what makes them more sure. powerful. Is the fact mm-hmm. they have clay feet. I can love Cesar Chavez, um, but the man's got clay feet. When I'm looking mm-hmm. at, we just I just had the pleasure of getting to see Dolores, um, early part of November. Dolores Huerta. Yeah. Um, if I'm that much of a badass in '92, mm-hmm. and watching her make a statement I had never heard her make, where she was talking about the connections of everyone all the human mm-hmm. race to africa mm-hmm. and she's never said this publicly before and she yeah. said out there and who were the most shocked people in the room the latino folks of course and yeah. i was like yeah, you know yeah, yeah. this is powerful coming from her no one booed yeah. no one went you know it was shock and awe you know but my mm-hmm. good buddy activist rosa clemente has been saying this stuff out loud mm. since the 80s Mm-hmm. And has been physically attacked, had to be escorted out of rooms, this and that, introduces herself. I'm a black Puerto Rican woman. Mm-hmm. And it's the most beautiful thing you can see. But people weren't ready to hear it from her. But from Dolores, yeah. 
you know, um, it's something else. So I do think we, uh, what I hope Black Panther will do is force some conversations uh, between the two groups. It will force some internalized conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, um, everybody's got that was on their hands in these, in these Mm -hmm. background conversations. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm just, um, cause that was a concern. Like that was a legit concern coming out of the movie. It was like, this is a really rich text. We're obviously going to get another one at least, if not more. That's wonderful. I can't wait to interpret this and so on and so forth. But there was like the whole like, you know, <laughs> Mexicans and black people were killing each other in Compton and and all over, you know, there that, you know, I mean, it, it's almost I, I what's the, the line in, in Kendrick, the the. Mexicans, they fuck with you like that. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and, and Pac has so many lines, too. And like it, it, these are emblematic of the reality of, of the streets, which is, you know, I'm even thinking back to some of the the 90s uh, film depictions, uh, uh, you know, where you have the yeah, this, this violent relationship between the Latino and black community. I even remember very distinctly, very distinct. Cause I was playing at a black church at the time that uh, I was in the parking lot is one of those churches that meets in like this, like a, an old former, like hall somewhere, you know, and just has a room for Sunday kind of a thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, I distinctly remember getting my, you know, put my amp back in my car and having someone come by and say like, well, do you hear the news? I was like, no. And they're like, there's more of you than there are of us now. <laughs> I just, like, I hadn't, I didn't know what to say. Like, I was just like, okay. I mean, you know, well, we can, you know, look, this is where I go back to identity. So okay. much of black identity was tied into being the majority minority. And then when we weren't, hmm. you know, we had a problem. Um, Mm. I I think what the film focuses on, and I think a lot of politicians could do a better job on, and a lot of academics could do a better job on, is how did we get here? How did we get to this fight where we're fighting over the same little scraps on the table? None of this argument has been moved to, there's a three-quarter tin full of pie over here. How Mm. come we're not going after that? You know, if right. black and brown people left Twitter, Elon Musk would have a problem. If yeah. brown, black and brown people, black people already learned this over the summer. If we left TikTok, it doesn't function. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why we don't get that lesson. So that's, I guess that's where I'm at with Namor at the end where he says, you know, look, they're going mm-hmm. to they're gonna get it. They're going to get tired. And then they're going to come back and they're going to ask us for help this time. We, we won't mm-hmm. have to ask that. Because that's mm. where this world is going. We can be, you know, you'll be here. I might be struggling a little bit. But 2050, when the numbers shift over, <laughs> that's what we're seeing. We're seeing yeah, we yeah. struggle with not being the majority minority. You guys are struggling with being the majority minority. Absolutely. Asian folks are flexing a little bit. Because they're mm-hmm. like, well, we're tired of you two only being in the discussion. We want to mm-hmm. be in the discussion. And white people yeah. are having a complete meltdown over the fact they will not be the majority <laughs> ever again, ever. Right. Yeah. And nobody wants to move to say, 
instead of fighting each other, why aren't we working to figure out how to come to some compromise, to come to some way mm. to uh, be a community? So if you don't want to be yeah. a community, you know, um, if folks of color ever got it into their heads, we wouldn't have to wait till 2050. Mm. You know, but that's where we are. You know, I mean, yeah. it, it's. It's funny because you saying this, I, I'm, I, I don't normally plug my stuff here at all, but I have a new book coming out. And right, in it. Good. Yeah, I got I got an I have an expression actually that one of my editors was like, "You wrote this in 2019. A lot's changed since then. Do you want to keep it?" And the expression is called the woke Olympics. Mm, yeah. Um now, in my head, I think my first critique of this this version of critique of wokeness, probably Gil Scott Heron uh, poems on Lennox and 123rd Street, you know that poem, Brother? Yeah. About saying, like, you know, uh, I don't remember the exact lines or whatever, but it's essentially saying, you know, you're out here on the streets with dashikis on and talking about Mother Africa and stuff, but you treat, you know, people horribly and all this kind of stuff. And right. so, you know, or more 90s, I guess, uh, 92, 93, Sister Act 2. Yeah. You had the one the character who saying "Oh, happy day," right? Yeah. And he was kind of like the the one everyone made fun of for being, you know, woke, I guess, or whatever. What I had in mind though when I wrote the woke Olympics was precisely the fight that happens at this bottom, where you've got you know, uh, and it's that conflict that I was kind of worried about, frankly, when I walked out of the theater. I was like, it's a great text, but like we need to learn to be good to each other and putting this on the screen like that, you know, well, there's going to be some people. Well, my thing is you have to play let's play black Panther. You, you have to, <laughs> you know you what that to, looks like as, as James Baldwin. And I'm paraphrasing my man, James Baldwin, um, mm -hmm. who like Tupac, his hits keep resonating, even though he's dead yeah. in the ground. Um, is you can't probably more than almost anybody else. You can't deny a problem. If you're not willing to face the problem, you can't, it, 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 you have to face it to have the conversation. And, you know, like, I think we need to look at not the conflict on the screen, but about the fact to get the first Latinx superhero, it had to have happen in a black film. Namor has hmm. been around a long time. Okay. You know, why isn't this rich? Um, uh, -huh. uh Tinoch Huerta is a bad dude. He killed, me uh -huh. um, uh, uh, Narcos Mexico character yeah, was off yeah, the yeah. chain. You know, oh, yeah. this guy's a big star to have turn around a newscaster in Mexico say, well, you shouldn't cast somebody based on the color of their skin. They should be based on talent. I'm like, well, who are you talking about? Because mm -hmm. no one embarrasses themselves in, in black mm -hmm. Panther. It's, it's, it's beautiful. Look, I think one of my things is about trauma. We mm. have so much trauma that we are dealing with as ethnicities that we don't know how to act when we see beauty. Hmm. The argument can be there. The, the dispute can be there. But the one thing about Black Panther, it's beautiful. This depiction, mm. you know, when Shuri gets to go to Tulacan and the, the ocean we are destroying, that we deny mm -hmm. destroying through climate change, mm -hmm. the, the beautiful... Yeah 
pyramids, the 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 uh, art, the the dress, all of this stuff, as you said, we like to put in a museum. We want to conquer mm-hmm. and we want to take. And, you know, I think there's such a broader reflection of what's actually being said and done in that movie. Um, you know, I'm terrified Ryan Coogler won't direct the third one because he's tired. He said he's taking a break. And, and oh, I know there needs will, to be a third one. Are you kidding me? That better be cooking now. Well, I hope they will wait till he's had a little break. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, because I think he put a lot of work into this. The film's a little clunky where it jumps from thing to thing. Um, it's jumpy. It's yeah. jumpy. You know, but so, it just needs another one to even out. But about. I'll say this. If he had been a white boy, okay, mm. whose film had made $2 billion, I mm. think Kugler wanted a part one and two. He said the first cut of this was three hours and 30 minutes. Right, right. Okay? So it sounds like to me, it should have been two films in the first place. And could you imagine what he could have done with it? But, you know, even making a $2 billion film, he's not James Cameron. He's mm-hmm. not one of these other big guys who all those Marvel Avenger movies, I'm quite frankly sick of. I three, find them boring. Three, minute, I find three hours them, and 30 minutes, yeah. yeah. Uh, nothing but explosions and not a lot of story. Uh, mm-hmm. I haven't even seen Black Adam yet. Um, you know, it, 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 uh, <laughs> uh, to me, Black Panther was about something else, about culture. And it was about, yeah. and I knew that Ryan was going to do right by the Mexican mm-hmm. and culture. I knew he was because he knew he understood how important it was. Um, well, he did some, he, he did, he did something that I haven't seen since Roma. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you remember the, 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 the controversies that came after Roma, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, which I have to say, I was like, I was not. Um, my response to the critics of Roma for presenting indigeneity on the Mexican screen in this position of servitude and what have you was similar to yours, which was that the the beauty of that black and white presentation and the fierce realism of the historical moment of, of that particular earthquake and everything it was like you know we haven't had the opportunity probably especially in the export culture of the north you know u.s and uh you know cinematic viewers we haven't really been able to appreciate Mexicans that way, and I think with I think without that, for instance, the the success of Narcos, especially Narcos Mexico, mm-hmm. I don't think we see it. And so, you know, I I think there's a lot a lot to what you're saying, but I want to talk about Haiti. Well, I want to start if there was, first. what's that? I want to start some shit first. One of the okay. things you have to decide in the Latino population: Are you going to fight or are you going to assimilate? You got mm. a white Latino assimilation problem. And yeah, 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 yeah. black folks tried this. And that's the problem <laughs> here. You're trying some stuff that black folks already know doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And you've got to stop it. And the bottom mm-hmm. line is whatever decisions you make, make them as part of your culture. Don't make them as part of trying to assimilate because you think it's going to protect you from something. And that is one of the current problems here. Because yeah, yeah. Latinos should be mad as hell over that beauty that was shown by Namor and the fact that they're not even talking about a standalone movie should be happening already. It, it, mm. That movie is going to make a billion dollars, probably mm. will exceed what Black Panther made, and they should mm. already be talking about it because I want to know more about Namora 
Okay, that woman who at the end was like, mm-hmm. nah, I ain't feeling none of this. What, what, mm-hmm. How do you surrender? You know, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, how do you surrender, Namor? You know, yeah, that, yeah. I want to see more of that. There are more rich characters and more rich stories in Mexican culture that you're not even talking about. Like when I saw, like, you know, I did a private screening. We had 300 people. Okay. I saw that. My students, when they're seeing the Aztec goal and the ball go through, they were all like, woo. They ruined the oh, next chance yeah. we had because they were like, is that for real? And that, I was like, you got, I have a 99% inter-ethnic studies class. And those kids were in tears. They were angry. They were like, I saw stuff in there. I was on Google all night long. And I said, are we really mm. doing this? Do these kids really mm. have no idea? That, that should enrage people. That should yeah. enrage people. You know, that's wild because w- in fact, of the three artists, I'm taking you back to the museum, mm-hmm. of the three artists that I kind of wasn't really feeling as much. And it's funny because the artist is from Alice, Texas, which is a place I know. It's down okay. in South Texas, right. close to Uvalde. The one thing that, that she said was that it was uh, a course on pre-Columbian Mesoamerican art uh, at Texas A&M Kingsville, one of these satellite, you know, spots that kind of where she found a Chicana identity, you could say. And it was funny because of all the things she said, that did kind of wake me up because whenever I went to my super conservative, you know, liberal arts college, we had this like she was only there for like two years. But there was this wild from from Mexico City, uh, Chilanga, teaching Spanish and she kind of just infused into her courses from Olmeca all the way through Mayan into Aztec. Mm-hmm. Now, while uh, we've read Christopher Columbus's uh, diaries and, you know, and, and she introduced me to not only Bartolomé de las Casas and Sor Juan Inés de la Cruz and all these other people, but she introduced me to this kind of like competition there. It's like her big thing. And like Mexicans are big on this, mm-hmm. you know, the thir- 30 centuries, you know, um and how like you know oh you think constantinople is real big and rome and stuff how about Tenochtitlan and comparing you know and all that stuff exactly and i know there's i know there's kind of like a little bit of imperialism in that comparison and i've come to learn you know that that that's maybe not the uh but but whenever you're whenever you feel like you're living below and underneath these big cultures to find out that you have bigger culture you know I mean, that's remember the complexity to keeping us in our places is we are conquered people. Mm. And what they mean by conquered is somehow this wipes out all this rich history. You know, Mm. we invented things. America is what it is because these so-called nations you conquered um, brought what they had. You wouldn't have America Mm. without this, this conquering. That's why it's yeah. important to go back and dig that up. And this, yeah. the thing is, is that this is why comics resonate because you can go back and create this in a particularly kind of way. It's, it's like mm. vibranium is something that, yes, we <laughs> have it and you want it. Cause that's what it was. You were willing to ruthlessly destroy an entire place because you wanted yeah. this particular material. And that's truth, mm-hmm. and that and that's facts. And mm-hmm. it there. Look, 
we have to prepare our folks that if you want to dwell into this, like you said, there's some imperialism. It's like woman king. Okay. Every black woman in the world loved woman king. You know, I was teasing my ex. Uh-huh. because She said she uh-huh. went home and she's always moving heavy ass furniture, trying to do it on her own. And she said she moved this whole thing by herself after seeing the movie. Cause like, you know, black women went home and cleaned the whole house because it was so empowering and you felt, you know, Okay, mm-hmm. it doesn't change the question about the complexity of slavery in Africa. And sure. that you have to deal with that discussion and you have to deal with that dark side that we did have slavery and we did sell folks mm-hmm. to the white slavers. We sold our own people to the white slavers. But you have mm-hmm. an obligation to yourself to understand what that is. And then mm-hmm. you get into the other stuff. So this, this is what I think is cougars laying out for folks. This history is mm-hmm. out here. You need to go get it. Yeah. In that sense, it's less utopian and it's more of a kind of realism. Yes. But through a vehicle that people can actually tap into. You know. I like that. And, 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 and you know, again, going back to that cue I gave earlier before you ran off uh-huh. from it. I mean, Haiti as a part, I mean, they, I always say, like, people forget this and the Catholics forget it very convenient a lot, too, that, like, anti-blackness in the context of the transatlantic slave trade was built invented and seen through in latin america by iberian amongst between iberians indigenous and african people Mm -hmm. And, and you know people's minds are blown when i bring up the fact that brazil for instance you know has a longer and more demographically dense history of enslavement than the, than the U.S. and the distinction between shadow slavery and trans. I mean, this is stuff that you know. When you dig through it, you realize that your hands are all over Mexico, and all over the Caribbean. And so, here's one thing I want to correct for the people listening. It was clear to me, as I'm sure it was for you, but I think many people are missing the fact that for many people, there's a there's two worlds in the new black panther there's the black african world Mm -hmm. and then there's the latino indigenous mestizo whatever but haiti shows us that that's a myth that's not true it's never been a two world or a two continent story at least not since colonization and slavery which were a pair right in fact, enslavement, I think Canary Islands is a little earlier than Columbus. Mm-hmm. It's very early when the Portuguese were just dipping down into Africa. and But it came full-blown transatlantic, of course, after 1492. But enslavement and colonialism, that's a common project. And then when we add capitalism to that, there we go. Well, but I that's, think- that's why the American slavery is a unique institution. Because Caribbean yes. slavery worked you till you died. Right. It wasn't the intent to create more slaves. Sugar cane. But when it was capital- to create sugar. Yeah, when capitalism kicked in and American capitalism, we decided, well, we don't need your trade. We're going to breed. And that's right. what America has always been good at. It's, it's the hold my beer moment. You're doing this over here, <laughs> but hold my beer. Give me a minute. And that's mm-hmm. the, that is the unique, unforgivable sin of America, is that mm. every chance we've had to follow our so-called coda of, mm-hmm. you know, freedom. We yeah. have chosen to up the ante to make people less free. 
Mm. And that is our particular original sin. It, it, uh, uh, we had a chance to not have that history, but we chose mm-hmm. to have it. And so, you know, cause we can talk about Europe. We can talk about Caribbean nations. There was always some concept of winner or loser. Okay. Yeah. But in America, in our so-called founding is that we were going to be this nation of, of persecuted people was going to become something right. else. And we just became like everyone else. So it, and yeah, it yeah. anyways worse, but I mean, look, Ryan knew what he was doing. If you look at the poster, okay, the poster is Wakanda on the top, and it's got the Tulacan Nation on the bottom. But if you flip the poster, uh, it puts the Tulacan Nation on the top and puts the Wakandas I'll on the bottom. I'm that up right now. So which one are you, you know? Man, I should have at least looked at the damn poster. I wouldn't but have when been you look so at them together, <laughs> It's what you said. Yeah. It's together. It's, it's not yeah. two different worlds. It's yeah. just two different yeah. ways of looking at it. You know, they're mm-hmm. both in the same situation. If they could conquer them, they would. If they could take mm-hmm. something, they would. The bottom line is, even if they didn't know the tulacans were down there in that water to get that vibranium, they were willing to destroy the ocean to, to get mm-hmm. it. Right. So that's the other thing. They're willing to exploit a 16-year-old black genius to do it. You know, right. she didn't even know what she was helping them with. Well, you that's know, another really complicated part of this plot. Ironheart is a very interesting and complicated individual um, who will be getting her own series, and I will be interested to see what they do with it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, because also she is a scientist. She's not Peter Parker, who is the protege of Iron Man. She is the uh, she is a scientist with her own brains and her own mind, who is a street kid. So it would be very interesting what they do with it. I think, once again, this is about ownership and control and about how Mm -hmm. we decide what happens with our people, our characters. Uh, Yeah, it reminds me a bit of the, um, you know, I, I, uh, as a, yeah, like, we have to have a separate show to talk about the talented tenth, but, um, you know, black reconstruction in America. Um, I mean, the the great inversion reversal, or you could say not so much inversion reversal, but restoration of the reality of that period of time and what happened. And the fact that it was not a story of a victimized and conquered people who were, you know, rehabilitated, but instead it was a story of a formerly enslaved people who asserted and took and demanded their freedom through everything from amendments to, you know, Black Wall Street to so on mm-hmm. and so forth, which then, of course, required the the, the white lashes of, you know, the uh, well, the institution of Jim Crow, you know, because um, to me that's also the part of the story of America that you were t- telling saying. I mean, we have free states in 1776. Pennsylvania is a free state. You know, abolition is not a, a foreign concept or even kind of like a. It is a, a reality. We have free blacks. We have we have a lot of you know that that early, and in the early twilight of the nineteenth century, we have the over abolition of transatlantic slave trade, where you can't even put out ships, you can't you know import and exports, you know, getting out of the whole flesh trade business because it was so uh, bad. It was so clearly morally you know horrible. And in the U.S., instead of using that moral, 
reality to take a full step into abolition, they take a full step into the creation of this new perverse form of shadow slavery where it's a, a flesh trade that's an ecology. It's not an import-export, you know, which of course carries this really weird paternalistic thing where, you know, I read sometimes about the Caribbean uh, enslavement and the brutality of it and the fact that it was just a, I mean, human bodies were just machines mm -hmm. to create labor. Whereas there is this weird value assigned to the black body in shadow slavery because of its reproductive capacities, which creates, of course, these more complex realities, you know, King X's um, field Negro and house Negro, you know, you get this whole, you know, and you have the, the sexual exploitation in particular well it's black women's uterus that. is that we're the commodity okay that's right any anybody that's could right. have impregnated you would have been considered remember see this this is where we need to have better conversations amongst our own folks around our own selves you know mm. we internalize misogyny we mm. internalize sexism you know it, mm. it it wasn't about black bucks okay it's it, it, it was about Black women's vaginas, okay? That was mm -hmm. the commodity, just like cotton, is that the fact mm -hmm. that you give birth and you could take that child and that child would legally be considered a slave. But we don't talk about slavery like that. We talk about the brutality mm -hmm. against Black men. That's always been our mistake, okay? Mm -hmm. When we talk about the Mexican farm workers, we talk sure. about it in terms of, oh, these brutal hours the Mexican men work. okay. You know, it's more than that. This is part of the mm -hmm. crisis that are in our communities. And, the, and I'm speaking specifically the Mexican community and the black community yeah, 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 is yeah. Um, we're the two communities where the men and women were in it together. And it's hard to differentiate women's and men's roles. And we've mm -hmm. always tried to reincorporate that historically. And it's, it mm -hmm. doesn't work. It doesn't work. You know, if you look, that's why AOC is being sexualized. Yeah, she's attractive. Mm -hmm. She ain't all of that. You know, for all these white boys to be falling out about, to, oh, I want to date her. That's terrible. Okay, you know, and then being surprised she's with a white guy. Okay, whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know, but then Julian Castro, you know, and his brother, you know, you put them in these funny uh, Latino respectability politics boxes. You know, and I'm just kind of like, you know, these dudes, I know where they're from. They let loose a little bit more than that. Don't don't put them in this button up Obama box. But that's what you did. And I think that's what mm -hmm. made him less exciting. And so, you know, it, it's it's tough. So we, we we have to decide who we want to deal with first, ourselves or the white folks. And the white folks keep mm. putting the pressure uh, because they're crazy. I don't, I don't know how crazy they did. I'm not worried about us having a movie that might have us have clashes and conversations, um, right. you know, because we need to have them. You know, you, you know, yeah. I don't I don't know how Vancouver is. I haven't had the pleasure of visiting uh, your beautiful home yet. But Cali, we got issues here. Hmm. And, you know, black folks are looking around going, Ooh, we're not in it, you know, because mm -hmm. it's it's dealing with some Latino Mexican business. Um, mm -hmm. I was taken aback at that commentary from the LA Council that calling your own people, your indigenous people, ugly. Wow. Wow. That shocked me. 
You know, yeah. the internalization of a, a, a Latinx woman saying that a five-year-old child should be beaten. Mm-hmm. You know, we all have that complexity. You know, you and I grew up in a space where, you know, you got your tail whipped. You know, yeah. and, and our communities are dealing with, you know, is that the right thing these days? Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and I imagine you and I are part of the generation where we're kind of going, well, you got a point, but well, you know, yeah. I came out. But so yeah. how do we get change if it's so the pathway so heavy, Sam? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think that's why popular culture helps us so much. The music, the, the, the films, the TV, because it allows us to look at some of this maybe a little bit as outsiders. And I love mm-hmm. what you said that you're like, I went here to relax and now it feels like work. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. facts. That is facts. I know. It was. It was yeah. work. I was sitting there and the, and the a lot of black grief was in that movie and people were crying in the theater mm-hmm. and that was hard. And that was hard because, you know, you only get, and that's why I think I made my feelings about Tenoch being talked about at questioning his talent. Chadwick Boseman was an amazing talent. Absolutely. You know, Michael B. Jordan is a great actor, but he's not Chadwick Boseman. Chadwick Boseman had the ability to play all kinds of characters. Um, Well, he had to. And his last part um, was so powerful in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, um, where he gets playing a musician so right. A young Mm -hmm. musician who knows he has the talent to be somewhere else, but his skin color is going to keep him where he Mm -hmm. is. Um, There's something special there. And and I have to hand it, any other action film would have shown some kind of violence to end that character. And instead, Mm. Ryan let it be off screen and that's about a level of respect to a talent that we lost who did not tell people he was sick that that's Mm -hmm. kind of a powerful ownership you know celebrities tell everything and he did that to himself and and let his Mm -hmm. dignity handle his own way um so there was a so interesting film that i think takes some of the bite out of i'm kind of glad for you as a Mexican man, you were up there like, whoa, you know, Jill, we don't need this. I don't think this was hitting black people the same way because black mm. people were dealing with grief and they were listening. Yeah. Yeah. They were yeah, listening yeah, yeah. to Namor. They were hearing, yeah, yeah, you're right. We're losing people. This, this is not, mm. you know, maybe you should fight. Because, see, <sighs> you and I are kind of on the same page with this. Just because I can use all the big words don't mean I won't slap a man with glasses. It's because <laughs> I choose not to do that. That that's, yeah. I, know, I know that part of the world. I know what happens to people mm-hmm. that live, that they only have that option. Mm-hmm. And so I have another option to use my brain. Right. And right. so I think in some ways we are pushing black people so hard. Um, mm. Black people have a particular sense of humor. And you're wearing out that sense of humor and you're just doing things that's becoming look Herschel Walker and Reverend Warnock is the most insulting thing I've ever seen in my life okay it's the most insulting because number one Herschel Walker 
Okay, he's not a clown. Herschel Walker probably has CTE. Okay, Herschel Walker's been used his entire life by people that wanted him to just play football. You know, they didn't, you know, he was notorious. The stories about his education were notorious that, you know, people were doing his work and that he wasn't even going to class. This is somebody Mm -hmm. who was a product. He might as well be a slave product. And then you kind of have this talented 10th guy with Raphael Warnock. You can't escape it. There's something to it. And then that pastor pass that we can talk about all the time, that pastor pass. And, you know, that uh, and being the king legacy, uh, which I'm kind of like, well, I don't know how strong that is, but okay. Um, but the fact wasn't strong enough for Adams. No. Woo, well, <laughs> look now, Stacy, Stacy is my girl. Um, but once again, that's savior of the universe. Black women can fight and save the universe. But can we be allowed to lead? Um, mm. You know, uh, can we be allowed to run the show? Um, mm-hmm. I think Stacy's gonna have to set her sights a little lower. I know one day she wants to be governor, but maybe she needs to do something uh, else in in that state first that gives her a chance to legislate. Um, but I think she's done enough. Yeah, but she is an yeah. amazing individual. Look, uh, my hero, uh, uh, Reverend Doctor Polly Murray, mm-hmm. who's been forgotten in history. Um, to me is the epitome of a black woman's contribution to America that someone Mm. else will have to mention her name for her to be remembered and, and that being so far ahead of her time, um, Mm. you know, it's in a weird way. It's sort of like the, uh, the length of time it's taken for like Ida B. Wells, for instance, yes. to finally, finally break out from that, you know, Niagara Convention, NAACP, you know, patrimony. Look, um, have we ever done uh, right by Arthur Schomburg? No. No. You know, no. most people think that's a black man. That's a Latinx man there. That's a Renaissance yeah, yeah. man there. He was one of the earliest Renaissance men, a man of brilliance and and looking into the future of knowing mm-hmm. to save those di- the number one crisis that we have in studying anything for black and brown people is the keeping of documents, the saving mm-hmm. of documents, putting the documents in a space where people could get mm-hmm. to them and and realizing the importance of those words. Yeah. We have so much work to do. I'm going to be so interested because I believe the Latinx, at least I think that's what they're calling it, the your Smithsonian Museum. Yeah, yeah. I believe it's what three years away, something like that. I am so interested who they're putting together to run that. I know, I know. And how they're going to do that? Are you going to separate it by ethnicity? Are you going to separate it by? Yeah. The African American Museum works kind of with the negative aspects of history and then becomes positive as you go up to the floor. Okay. Floor. Um, okay. I'm wondering if you can you do that. I mean, yeah. Look, my ultimate take on black Panther is once again, it's about black people still forming who they are and about the urgency of Latinx folks being able to decide who they are. Um, uh, yeah, and you just raised something for me. We're teaching an intro to Chicano studies. And now I wonder mm. if that's right. I'm beginning to wonder if that's right. 
because you just sure. at, God, I, I mean, you. I, I'm kind of going to hate you for it because now it's going to bother me because, <laughs> you know, teaching those two classes and you think you're covering so much expansive work and then ultimately I have a dynamic group of Latina scholars teaching for me and what they're doing with that work. Like I just sat through a teaching observation with one of them tying uh, the AIDS crisis and mm. Latinx community. And it was brilliant. Mm. And I thought, you know, that's what makes me hopeful is if we can mm. keep enough young scholars in the hopper and yeah. not try to force them to be political in how they view their work, let them find their own political yeah. place. Yeah. Uh, I mean, t to me, the politics, though, of the rise of Chicano studies, like that was the, that was a point of arrival mm -hmm. for us in the academy. Yeah. And it was in part because I think, especially from like, uh, as you use, I, I use your expression all the time, as a majority uh, dominant point of view, for a lot of them, like that was that was the extent of the culture, like the the story of the activist. The activist story was a story, and I think people have that same view in many ways of yeah um, black culture, um, and uh, and it's it's a great story. And I don't like resent people wanting to know the story. I always want to just let people know that there's a lot more to it, and it's um, it's political inflection, as you can tell. I'm saying like it, it slightly bothers me, not because it it's not my politics, but because I don't want to be consumed by it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and I want there to be room, you know, for the other side of it too, is I think that <laughs> this gets into the heart of some other things, which you probably don't have time to go into the relationship in black political movements between the sacred and the secular, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. that urban rural, there's so many like, really rich tensions i'm thinking about like country blues and city blues mm, i'm thinking mm, about like the yes, yes. secular and the sacred in terms of the church you know meeting you know and then what's going on in the streets we even have interreligious you know contestations with the noi up in chicago and you know the baptists down in and alabama the black and so hebrew israelites thing coming back yeah oh lord yeah i don't even want yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean <laughs> Well, it is complex. Like the whole three percenter thing. Like you know, there was a time where I didn't feel weird about finding it interesting, but, it, but, but now but I'm it's like all complex. And that's but the thing is, is that we've had these superficial discussions about all of this stuff, and it takes time. You know, um, it's like hip hop. If we simplify it and go to something we we both universally know, if we go back to hip hop, sure. it's like we still struggle with properly giving the Latino population their credit and you know, the dance and the art, you cannot say black people led the way on this. It's just not the reality of hip hop, but it's like, you know, what triggers when you teach and you teach your students and what triggers people, but it is black art, yeah, but it is black art. And, but you know, it's like you, it hurts you to give credit to the low rider culture for saving doo-wop music black doo-wop music. Uh -huh. It doesn't hurt my uh -huh. feelings, but it hurts some people's uh -huh. feelings. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the truth of it. And it's not even just black doo-wop. It's black 80s music. You know, mm -hmm. they saved this music, the value in this music. I'm more interested in why it appealed. 
You know, why? Why mm. was this the love of it? Not that you think they're appropriating some. How can you appropriate something you discarded? We have to have a discussion. Right. And so it, it's it's like, you know, and my students here, the murals here, they remember. And even though Mexicans are the biggest supporters of the Dodgers, my students <laughs> are well aware of the bullshit the Dodgers did to expand that stadium. The Latino families, they pushed out. The Latino murals, mm-hmm. they destroyed to, to, to build that stadium. And that is important to explore. So, you know, along with this fight that we're fighting white folks over here about how they don't want any history told at all to, Mm. you know, what history do we tell that you have to make room that even if you're teaching an intro to black studies class, I'm still going to talk about Latinos when I talk about music. I am. It just because it's one doesn't exist out the other you know you can't talk about black jazz and not talk about latino jazz you just you can't or afro latino jazz. how do you do that it's this meshing that comes together that if we remember the power of that hmm. we could listen to something and see black panther differently you know we could see I, where this culture class because what he's po- po- talking about is you're pushing us together and you're putting us mm-hmm. at odds because we're trying to do something that doesn't work. I, diplomacy only works with people that want to be diplomats. And America has, it's the young lady, I, I always forget her name, but she a few years ago after George Floyd was murdered, she did this kind of rant on YouTube about America broke the contract. Hmm. And America's always broken the contract with people of color. And that you can't be surprised when they strike back. And I think that's Mm. where we need to start. America has never kept its contract with anyone of color. Yeah. And what do we owe them? They, we fight in their wars. They question our patriotism. We help build this country. They question our patriotism. We're now going to school and starting to dominate particular eras. You, you question our right to be there. You question our ability to learn about our own stuff. You're constantly breaking the contract so how do we go forward from that Mm. um you know the power the power of where ryan coogler could have made this sequel to black panther and not included latinx folks could have done it in a blink of an eye there's there's 101 stories you could have told that's why it surprised me like I, i i was like we have a lot further to go in this intro, you know, I was ready. I was ready full on, you know, because we have the tensions, right? Between Afrofuturism, mm-hmm. Afro-pessimism, yep. which had its moment. But I think, I believe we both agree that moment is gone. Um, and uh, and this return, though, of a kind of almost like a Afro-humanism. Uh, I, I just taught Fanon a little while ago. Okay. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I'm... I, even when I reread him, I'm just shocked again. He's he's in the whole like it's not 2022 version, but it's like I'm not black. But <laughs> I'm I mean, not white. So let me ask you this: Can yeah. Afro pessimism work with people who are survivors? I don't know. Yeah, I don't think so. I, I, I mean, I, I'm just you know I, I was a little fascinated. Look, by it was the, dead on arrival for me. I'll yeah, be honest. I, I was, it's a, never I was a little fascinated at the argument of Afro pessimism, but for me, ultimately. This argument 
of I don't know that works with survivors and people who standardly survive yeah. and fight to yeah. survive and have such a rich desire to live and contribute. Um, we could have yep. all folded up any time ago. Um, so I, I kind of mm. the pessimism I, I don't get the Afrofuturism. I, now I love I love Afrofuturism. Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, you know, um, but although you're reading a Black Panther is both surprising, but I think in a weird way, more interesting, because like if you know Afro Afrofuturism, you can kind of just put Wakanda right in there. And in some sense, you have it categorized, understood. But with your reflection on like black trauma and history, this is a kind of black realism. Well, but it's right? it's, it's a mixture of Afrofuturism, but it's also a mixture of the past. They still have farmers. Mm -hmm. They still yeah. have animal husbandry, even though it's a unique. It reminds me a lot of magical realism. Yeah, from Latin America. I mean, it, it, it's um, it's it's a nod to the past and the present, because mm -hmm. you know we're also look. It's got some. Uh, elitist issues. Wakanda has serious elitist issues. It has royalty. Sure. Um, you know, um, I think what we got was the price royalty pays in certain cases if they truly serve the people. And yeah. at no point does anybody in Wakanda, if you wish to leave, as a Lupita character, wants to serve, mm. as Killmonger, wants to serve the people who need it the most. Um right no one says you can't go. Yeah. Um, you know, and then, you know, at the end, they're also trying to reclaim, not reclaim, but also that we are a part of the water as well, that we mm -hmm. let this thing become our Achilles heel, but we can be a part of the water, which I think is a nice play on, you know, black women don't swim because their hair and stuff like that. I mean, there's so <laughs> many Easter eggs in the, in this film, oh, yeah. you know, and, oh, yeah. uh, uh, and they, like I said, I love Nemora. Uh, you know, when she turns and says, you know, I'll handle these folks. She's handling the police. You know, yeah, we that's right. And that the police are not a problem for the Latinx community. But of course it is. They've choked no, out a no, number. They sure. pulled somebody the same way eight minutes here in L.A. right after George Floyd died. And he was Latinx. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, it's just in, in this powerful giant Latinx man who's, you know, makes a uh, uh, Umbaco Sam, you know, it, it, mm -hmm. it, it, you know, and he's almost shocked at it, you know, that, mm -hmm. that you're not the only one that's got some power, you know, it, it, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it, it's it, like me watching Tony Gonzalez play football yes, back in the day. I just love watching Tony Gonzalez when he was in college, but, uh, that boy uh play. but it, it, it's, um, I don't know. I think it's a love letter to both communities. And what the I, potential I, could be. I think it's going to be that, as I told you, my I'm worried about the whole like let's play Black Panther now. Yeah. Um, you know, in the community. Well, <laughs> I don't Well, yeah. you know, I don't I don't um, like I'm a little overdone with the whole comic book movie thing. Sure. And and sure. and you know, but once again, I'm going to say the Latinx community in terms of Hollywood is being tr tr treated very much like black Hollywood folks. You know, see the mm. Chavez was presented like a Catholic altar boy who had never had a beer in his life and I was just kind of yeah, like yeah, yeah. okay, no. 
you know, um, they were busy. They were making love. They were having babies, and and everybody mm. wasn't faithful to everybody. And you know, and you are not loved in certain places. If you go to McFarland, there's not a lot of love for Caesar or Dolores there. Let Let's talk mm-hmm. about that. Let's stop. Let's stop pretending people understand Gloria and Zodula's work. You don't understand her work. Hmm. You ain't been down there. You don't know the complexities of that woman's work, and you don't want to talk about the academy killing her. So it, mm-hmm. it, it we have complex conversations. I'm waiting for the Mexican cowboys to kick in. Okay, we've reduced yeah, black cowboys. We've that's reduced my people. black cowboys. Let's get up in here and start talking about the Mexican cowboys. Y'all don't want. We that. even have a word for us, vaqueros. Vaqueros. You don't want uh, none yeah. of that. You don't want to talk about the vaqueros. Yeah. You don't want to talk about. Uh, wait till we get a Fat Joe biopic. I, I love Fat Joe being around. We, we, you know, when are we going to get one? Uh, you know, with the guy from Cypress Hill and his brother, who were two of the mm. first Mexican Kid Frost. You know, mm-hmm. we we have so many untold stories that um, I'm not going to allow Black Panther to become this stomping ground for this kind of repeat yeah. stuff. Yeah, I'm not yeah, going to yeah. do this colorism crap. You guys are going to have yeah, a conversation yeah. about your colorism. I don't know what a white yeah, Latino yeah. is. It doesn't make sense to me. It never has. It's not Hispanic <laughs> white. What is that? You know, mm-hmm. you're you're siding with the oppressor. You're siding yeah. with the colonizer. You know, it, yeah. it, it 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 saying stuff like that. Um, you know, well, there there's there's colorism for sure. Yeah, but there's also just explicit anti-black. Oh yeah. Well, but that we have to deal with. Yes. I mean, and and I know that 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 I and, and like you're you're both I think generous. And also optimistic enough to say like that's not that's not going to be my key issue. Well, no, no, no. Look, no. Don't get me wrong about anti-blackness. Anti-blackness pisses me the hell off uh, because yeah. number one, you're not gonna win that one. Uh, uh, that that would be my warning. Is is that that anti-blackness is stupid? Because um, the bottom line is we're not in the same space. Um, Black folks have always been the canary in the coal mine on civil rights issues. If your mm. view of being anti-black is to be an assimilationist, then you're going to lose in that discussion. Because if black folks choose to stay home on you, you're mm. going to need us before we need you. And so mm. anti-blackness, I don't tolerate. Um, mm. uh, particularly now oh, that I've been... We got to deal with that too. Yeah, but we, yeah, but it's, it's like white folks' racism. It's your problem. But that's it's your problem. I know, I know. Yeah. But but my thing though is so yes, I have the the worry about yeah. playing Black Panther, but I'm also worried well, are they about playing the Black opportunity Panther, are they playing Namor. Cuz see if I was a Latinx kid, I'm finding me some tight ass green shorts and I'm running around and I'm going <laughs> to be taping my mom's, you know, feather duster mm-hmm. stuff to me to yeah. run around. It, it, it all, and I think it, that's fine un, unless it stokes that same mom's, you know, commentary. Yeah. I, like one of the things I really didn't like about this exhibit, and as you can tell, I yeah. kind of didn't like most of it. But the thing that really didn't like it is we have this game called Loteria, which is this like a it's like a it's like a bingo card game, okay. you know. And it's and it's it's super edgy because it has La Sirena, who's you know, in there with yep. you know you know titties open and 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 it, you and every card every other card because they're all different will have el negrito yep and yep. el negrito is a very you know common you know commonplace you know image of what is actually historically 
in the U.S., people see that as like an African American. No, it's an Afro Latin guy. Yeah. You know? um, but the line between dark Moreno and Negrito, you know, is a pretty clear racial line and all that. My worry is that if if this is a part of their their family, being Neymar and fighting black people isn't just going to be about playing games or whatever, but it's going to feed into some of that kind of anti-blackness that's already in the water um, that we have to deal with. Well, that's why I'm with you. I hope that the third film goes back and we need a solidarity moment. Them in a solidarity moment. I mean, yeah. like I said, I think it ends properly though. I think it ends. Yeah. We've been knowing this a long time and you know, at least I think we thought we had some solidarity until this L.A. City Council thing popped off. And then they realized, you know, woo, wow. And um, yeah. I do think you're right to be nervous because the labor guy, the Latinx labor guy didn't argue, didn't try to rationalize. He just straight up resigned because he knew damn well he can't exist in labor getting caught being anti-black like that. And, uh, you know, but the white Latina first, you know, I'm more mad at her. The anti-blackness didn't surprise me. Where I was more mad at her is here you are, the first woman mm. to get to do this. The first woman, period. Mm. And you said women back a thousand years because they're going to point and they're going to say, remember what happened when we put a woman in charge? The first thing she did, because she was the aggressor. I'm under no illusions yeah, yeah. that women can't uh, trash talk it, better than a man. Some of us can. I yeah. know I can. But she didn't begin, and it was that comment that she made when she finally resigned was, well, I, I, I was a role model for you, all the young Latinx girls, that that gets misinterpreted. That, that, mm. ooh, you know, um, and her anti-blackness, her hatred of her own, your indigenous mm. people, ooh, that threw me more than anything. I think, look, mm. we're all learning what is throwing to us, what is, what is, what is, makes us go, wow, you know, oh my God, wow. And it was those two things that made me go, oh my God, wow, before the anti-blackness. Now, maybe that's, you know, being mm. uh, pessimistic and seeing, you know, anti-blackness is not a surprise. Um, but, yeah, you know, we look, to get our ethnic studies department, and I don't mind saying this, this is not telling tales out of school. People can be mad if they ever get to see this. Um, it was a white Latina woman that joined the white group to try to stop us from getting the department. Yeah. And I was actually stunned at it, but you know, um, but then she turned around when she realized we were going to get it despite them. Uh, she was the first one to turn around trying to make a deal to save face. Yeah. You can't have it both ways. Um, Mm. and I don't mind giving some grace here because, Power is new to everybody. You know, I, I think, you know, I think it was you or some discussion we had, you know, everybody's one foot from being the oppressor in a certain mm-hmm. situation. No, that's true. Uh, that's true. And we're not going to be surprised that Latinx folks try to consolidate power. I want mm. us to have a better discussion about power. I think that's where yeah. I would be more interested in with going with Black Panther than the fear is what is Namor saying about power? What is mm-hmm. uh, Queen Ramunda saying about power? Mm-hmm. And then Shuri, who's kind of agnostic. Yeah. You know, yeah, part of her, sure. her, I don't want to say naive, but 
you know, what you were describing earlier, her kind of hands-off philosophy contributes to the situation because yeah. she's like, oh, it'll be okay. Um, you know, um, you know, now you're one of my favorite philosophers, but my other favorite philosopher is Dr. Maisha Cherry. Okay. Um, who has a new uh, term called Lordy and Rage using Audre Lorde's, <laughs> you know, yeah, 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 and yeah. I, I love it. It, it. it is a concept of, of uh, it's a good press back on the angry black woman trope mm-hmm. that rage gets things done. Anger gets things done. You know, I just taught in my, my grad seminar, uh, Glenn Coltart, he's a, um, uh, Cree, uh, no, Dene, Dene, uh, indigenous, uh, political theorist. And he has a, a book, uh, Redskins, White Masks. Ooh. And he has, a, he has a chapter called Seeing Red. And it is a defense of basically indigenous refusal to reconcile. So right now we're in the Truth and Reconciliation. It came out, the book came out though a year before the Truth and Reconciliation Committee uh, published its results. And it's basically saying that um, a refusal to to reconcile, uh, uh, a refusal to enter into, to accept an apology and the rage that comes with it and what have you, as long as it's affirming your community and, and seeking peace amongst, you know, your relations, that it's a legitimate political category, but obviously it gets cast as irrational and there's all these other things. And, uh, you know, I, I, I see the move and I see the need to have some room for this fully human emotional range and obviously within a majority tradition whether they'll admit it or not there are emotions all over the spectrum Mm -hmm. you know including from their own political philosophers i mean no one is as canonical as jean-jacques rousseau and that guy's emotions are just all over the place you know Mm -hmm. um there's a lot more too and and the greeks weren't exactly like emotionally you know reserved people or whatever half the time socrates is drunk you know in plato's dialogues and stuff and got his eyeballs on some youngster oh yeah yeah for sure (laughs) so to me like you know the you know even if we go to scripture you know there's there are no gospels without the passion yes it's the passion that you know so you know i think there's a lot of room for this, but I do again, and this goes back to my worries about, and this just makes me, you know, I've always leaned a little conservative in this respect. Like, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know if that solidarity moment can happen. If we both respectively and together are willing to enter into some kind of a suspension some kind of a reconciliation, some kind of, you know, like you were saying, like I can give some grace here. Like that's really important, you know? And here's where, now this might be like the, the, the thing that like makes things all go wrong. I've thought a lot about like, you know, going all the way back to that stuff with like the history of white people and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, this isn't about just how to work with the, like the white ally, the so-called white ally or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, I think there's a project to be advanced, which denies the very foundation of whiteness altogether. Mm-hmm. That was always my project back then. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. I, that was always yeah. what it was. I always loved that. I think I, interrogating whiteness, right? 
And I constantly will be like, there's no such thing as, I mean, there's no white nation, white ethnos, like these things, there's nothing there. Um, Wakanda is way more realistic than any of that stuff, you know? Um, but for people who have now for maybe two or three or four or five, or maybe even up to like now, probably just like four or five generations been under the belief that they are in fact white mm -hmm. for them to admit, which it says would be a lot already that this whiteness itself is a fiction. I feel like we need to offer them something, you know, like it, like there needs to be something there to enter into that solidarity. And I have a real edgy example here, but I know you've seen it in our students and I, and I think we see it in the places where our cultures actually do overlap. I don't even know if I can say this word without getting canceled. It's the N word with a W at the beginning. Uh -huh. All right. So like there's, and, 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 and I think people wrongly identify Latin Americans or Mexican Americans or whatever, who are involved in hip hop or whatever as kind of moonlighting in a way when, and as you know, that's not, the whole story of the truth, especially for the New Yorkans and like for those, you know, they've been there from ground zero. My point though, is that like, we do have examples of reality of people who, whether it's because of class through poverty, I mean, I'm thinking about M here, for instance, mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not ethnic and it's not identity passing and it's not co-optation either, but it is as if they have access to, some positive identity, some self-affirming sense of being human that they don't suffer the loss of their whiteness in the way that the majority establishment and the white lash we've seen throughout history and that we're seeing right now does. That's, that's where my tension is with anger and all this stuff. I agree with it internally for our communities and I think that's important. But for this solidarity to happen, and especially the solidarity in this future I'm imagining where whiteness is abolished, because that's what abolitionism for me is part of it, is the abolition of whiteness altogether. That can't be a destructive, like to me, abolition is always an affirmative project, right? Right. Well, I love where you're going with this. Look, um, well, they you know have, the word they, I'm trying they, to they think have, of, right? They have a name for what they are. It's white trash, beautiful. You got to remember. Okay, it, now it, you're talking. Eminem is is a part of that trailer park culture, mm -hmm. that ramscapple, that going to college is not on the table. Maybe I join mm -hmm. the military. Um, maybe I sell some drugs to get by. Maybe I self medicate. It's that Ozarks. Yeah, it's 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 that uh, whiteness that finds solidarity with people of color, but still wants to maintain their own identity and their own power dynamics. Of, of what Ta-Nehisi Coates talks about, that McDonald's ice cream sundae is a form of comfort. Um, mm. You know, it, it's, it's, they, they and, and this is where I'm not willing to regulate um, people of color's emotions. They're allowed to be angry. That's what okay. the MAGA cult people are. They're allowed to be mm -hmm. angry. They're so angry, they don't really know what they're angry at. They just know somebody of color did something to them, even though there's no people mm. of color in their community. Um, mm -hmm. but the, but as you were said, it is a uniqueness. I love what you're saying about getting people to move from something. You have to offer them something. 
That's the problem with the MAGA cult folks. What they have been given is the right to unleash their anger at other people. It doesn't have to have logic. It doesn't have to have sense. It's just we're angry about something because the only thing we can offer them is the reality of the situation. It's it's your own politicians. It's your own leaders that did this to you. And for them to admit that goes against generations of what they've been told. I, I, I find them... You know, this is a project I would love to work on you other, but I find whiteness hopeless. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah, they're, they're, um, it's an empty concept. It's an empty concept, but also it's the, the temptation of the power of it is too much. It, it right mm. now, it still resonates with power. It white women, no matter what the situation is, it, no matter what happens, you could turn over Roe versus Wade. You can endanger their lives. You could take away their rights. At the end of the day, they will always choose and vote whiteness. You know, I'm no mm. big fan of abortion, but I'm also not a, a fantasist. I'm, I'm I understand mm-hmm. the realities of it. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. But it's um, instead of us coming up with a solution to make this uh, uh, the all deal situation we don't ever have that discussion because at the end of the day white women will continue to vote for people that will continue to cut these rights Mm. away and cut away any opportunity for you to come up with something different so my position on abortion since obviously some people are going to wonder is brenda's got a baby yeah i mean pock look you know one of the things i always say and i say to my students when we discuss abortion is we are a part of two of the most conservative communities you could have black and brown communities when it comes to childbirth black and brown communities yeah okay abortion might be out there we might support it and vote for it you're going to have that child under Mm -hmm. most circumstances you're going to have that baby so the best Mm -hmm. thing for us is preventative for you not to be in that situation to have a full discussion to put you in that position okay but you tell us in white world that's not an option so, you know, that, that, you know, it's the andor, it's the, it's the carrot and the stick. I think for Latinx folks, what you can have, your alternative is right in front of your face. You're scared to take it. Um, mm. You know, that history, that richness you have over there. Look, this is not a hard, this is not an easy thing to break. I'm a, I have light skin privilege. I'm a light skin black woman. <laughs> I, I, I got the so-called pretty hair, you know, I got the soft dreads. I don't have the hard dreads like, you know, some of my other mm. folks. Things are said and grace is given to me in particular ways that I have to own. Look, this conversation they're having about anti-blackness and this uh, uh, in Black Panther was present in the first one. Because some light-skinned black right. folks got in their feelings because all the lead characters were dark-skinned. I was like, come on, y'all. Come, yeah. come on, y'all. You know, that didn't even cross my mind. I'm sitting in the movie enjoying myself, you know, watching these dynamic sisters. And then, you know, I they want to see Halle Berry. And, and then the world is just, you know, <laughs> we don't have Halle Berry. Okay. Yeah. She ain't, Halle wasn't here. The slave master mm-hmm. isn't here in, in Wakanda. So that's why Halle mm-hmm. Berry isn't here. Wow. And, and that's fine that slave master's not in Wakanda. You mm-hmm. know, so we have our natural genetics. You know, but it, it 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 but that people were mad about that. They were big mad, you know. And we're mm. boycotting Black Panther has been a, a target of of black boycotts now back to back. 
Okay. Really? Uh, the woman king uh, was was subjected to a black by black pastors talking about you got these black women running around trying to be men. Okay, this oh, is yeah, based yeah. on historical facts, sir. Yeah. This is something the black king wanted. These women yeah. didn't just wake up and said, we're going to be your bodyguards. The king said, I want these women because women are fierce warriors to be my bodyguards. Mm-hmm. You know, and it wasn't sexual, which is shocking. You're not going to be my queens. You're not going to be my consorts. You don't get to marry. You're going to guard me. You're going to protect mm-hmm. me. Wow. And we got T.D. Jakes going, yeah, you got these black women t- teaching them trying to be men. No, T.D. You know, church has gotten dangerous in the in the black community. I'm going to get in trouble for that one. But it has. It's gotten uh, dangerous. Carter you know? G. Woodson said that in the 30s. I, well, you know me, you and me, Carter G. That's yeah. our food, Carter G. I'm sorry. Uh, Carter, Carter was right. Carter would be horrified at what Black History Month is. He would be horrified at what Hispanic Heritage Month is. He would be horrified. You know, it is is not, it is performative. It is like doing land acknowledgments. It's performative. People expect it because it's during this time when every day is Hispanic Heritage Month. As far as I'm Hmm. concerned, there's something to do Mm -hmm. every day. I was raised with this stuff. I'm not putting it down. You know, Mm -hmm. my mom made a real deal Mexican food. You know, I can go in like everybody else and be like, oh, no, this is made for somebody else. Oh, we used to go to that counter, remember? Oh, the tortas. Remember that food oh, counter? Yeah, we got, we got uh, <laughs> Del Taco selling tortas. If you don't get out yeah. of here, the real deal tortas, yeah. the real deal Coca-Cola. You know, it, yeah. it, it's everything that we do. This is what, what kills me about whiteness. Why is nothing you do commercial, but everything we do is commercialized? Is, is compartmentalized, is meant to be stolen and sold. You know, even Black Panther, who they doubted the first movie, now we got Black Panther draws. Now we got Black Panther pajamas. We got Black Panther mm-hmm. draws because now you figured out the kid, little kids want uh, uh, dolls that look like them. You know, mm. you can figure out the capitalism and the exploitation quicker than you can figure out how to improve relations. Mm. Damn. Damn. You know, um... But, you know, Robin DeAngelo's making money hand over fist. So I'm not, you know, but she, she was right about the fragility. Yeah, I, I got a problem with her. She, she, nah, like, so do I. I got a, I got Oh, so do I. I got you just named it, though. her and Kendi. <laughs> from Kendi. You know, how not to be an anti-racist. You know, nice words for white people. Look, I think it's intellectual history. And I want to know what you're doing yeah. that. You know, I'm thinking more about Stamp from the beginning. Yes. So oh, that book is for, fire. So, yeah. So to me, though, he has that. I mean, his intro to the Penguin New Edition of Du Bois is unbelievable. Um, those are contributions he's making. I don't mind if he gets paid on a popular book. To me, what D'Angelo doesn't have is that. Right. I can agree with that. But my thing is with Kendi, who is you fooling? And when you make presentations, you need to be hard-hitting. You can't be mealy-mouthed. And we had him at, yeah. at issue B, and he was very mealy-mouthed about it. Because I was like, okay, your work is supposed to be hitting harder than this, and you're trying to make it about love. And I'm like, well, you know what? Yeah, you know what? I don't, I don't love them right now. And I, mm-hmm. you know, and and uh, you know, uh, it, it. Well, maybe I'll end with it with this quick because I think this, yeah. this hits on on the the point of possible tension 
So I got I got flown out to uh, to Chicago, just outside of Chicago, uh, to a, a Catholic high school, and uh, and they were having uh, they were having a their very first and only they were hosting really for the county, but it was really just them having for themselves a um, diversity, inclusion, and equity kind of seminar day and most of it was the students themselves yeah yeah most of it was the students themselves holding little you know little workshoppy things and they invited you know quite a few people but it was pretty much just a particular group of students and that high school when you dig down into it you see that there was some issues within the last two years and hirings and firings and and talking to the organizers these were essentially uh, parents uh, with multiple children having attended, parents of color with mm -hmm. children of color attending, mm -hmm. who finally, finally, you know, summer 2020 was like, we just can't, <laughs> not do anything. So long story short, they fly me down. I gave what I felt was just like our, our, our class, you know, primary sources. I had told them the story about Mahalia Jackson and Martin Luther King and tell them about the dream Martin and, you know, did this kind of walk through of really kind of just basic civil rights, um, black intellectual tradition, you know, mm -hmm. uh, ideas and, uh, King's three sins, you know, uh, racism, poverty and, and war mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And including his, his, uh, his definition, I think of equity, which is essentially after equality under the law, the next phase that he says is going to be more controversial. Right. Mm -hmm. So I kind of did all that there and, you know, my usual style, I think fairly dry and, you know, and they had a Q and a afterwards and this young Latina basically asked the question of what do you do when you're so angry mm -hmm. and you're and, and in the, in the moment though, like, how do you respond whenever all you can feel is just anger? And I was just like, oh. <laughs> and and to be honest, to this day, I haven't quite figured out the answer to that question because I was also like, this is a new generation. Like these are these are kids. Like I'm not, you know, I grew up in the old empowerment, you know, pretty conservative, you know, which is you just don't get angry. You just do your job, you know, kind of thing you win, but by the rules, you know, kind of a thing. And so I ended up pretty much just punting the ball and maybe here you'll be disappointed <laughs> by just talking about the importance of nonviolence only because I said, look, if you're really asking the question, I think you're asking, you're talking about when you're so angry, you're capable of doing something to someone that's going to get you expelled or get you sent to juvie or get i mean we're not talking about in in your feelings you're in your body mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. and and if you have something heavy or sharp or whatever you're in that too and i know about that and i'll have to tell you is don't do it this is this is what nonviolence means i talked about how king nonviolence they had to come in for a week or sometimes a month of training mm -hmm. where they would actually subject themselves to simulations of of physical and psychological torture. Mm -hmm. They would have trainers who would go up to black people and yell 
racist, the things they were going to hear on the street and that Bull Connor was going to say, you know, and all that. And they would have to learn in some ways of how to, how to do nonviolence because it's not natural. It's not, it's not true love or whatever, right? So that was my answer then. It was just like nonviolence, nonviolence, nonviolence. Very king, you know, very... Um, I guess I'm wondering here as we could turn the corner, yeah. what's your answer or what's your answer at least to my answer? I'm not sure that's the answer. I didn't say love, so hopefully you're not disgusted with me. But my answer was, uh, and I think still is, that. Hmm. Well, that's a tough one too. for me because I was born angry. At least that's how my mom always put it. Um, <laughs> and I was a person that spent a good portion of my youth. Um, when I got angry, you caught some hands first before I actually really said anything. I yeah. am a, as you know, a sharp tongue devil. Um, I can slash and burn with, with that. Um, I guess I would say I'm still a Malcolm X person. Um, if I am not bothering you, if I am not doing anything to you, and you want to enter into my space with violence, I can't promise you you won't get that back. Um, I think in terms of certain situations that make you angry, you do have a responsibility as a, as a woman of faith. You have a responsibility to think hmm. before you leave. Now, this hmm. is a process of, of mellowing and dealing with my own issues of rage, uh, hmm. better understanding that life is not fair. Um, sometimes what makes you angry, you have to be sure what you're angry about. Hmm. And then anger is powerful, but unfocused anger is useless. And so hmm. if you're in that moment, I mean, what I had to learn was sometimes I like to win that war in the moment. So I would blow yeah. up and I would say something. And, you know, if I crushed that person right then and there, and then I would realize that they would regroup and I would find myself isolated and the next attack would be much more fierce. Um, mm. You have to work better than that. I think anger is okay because people misinterpret nonviolence and nonviolence came with action. That's right. See, and so my whole thing is, is that people misinterpret that there's always action with yeah. whatever you choose to do. And yeah. even Malcolm X, who expressed a lot of anger and support of violence, there was action. Mm -hmm. um, uh, There's also incredible restraint, though. Yes. I mean, X wasn't stupid. Well, and, and but how he spoke, if you watched him, and mm. I think that's what frightened people. If you go back and watch those Mike Wallace interviews, where yeah, he is yeah, sitting yeah, yeah. there calmly with his, his legs crossed and his mm -hmm. hand here... And yeah. saying the most crushing things, yeah, 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 without a hint of rage. But They're I'm trying sure, to make him break. Though. I assured he was simmering. Yeah. Um, I think controlled yeah, yeah, yeah. rage. I like, like I said, Dr. Cherry's idea of lordy and rage. Where yeah. are you going with that? Um, I think where it's hard for me, um, and you, you live in Canada. There's less of this where you live, but the Karen complex here. 
of people mm. who won't let black people exist in spaces where you're not present and you force your way in. Yeah. I, I can't promise I'm going to be Martin Luther King on that. <laughs> I don't forgive you coming into spaces um, where you don't belong to try to tell us what to do. Um, that's not going to work. Uh, I, you're going to get a very ferocious response. I, I don't have any desire to put hands on anybody to tell the truth. Um, mm. I'm with you. Violence, that kind of violence only begets more violence. Um, right. But I know some people interpret nonviolence as not saying anything either. Yes. And, no, no. Uh, I'm not I mean, that's the other side of... Uh, yeah. That's the other side of the hands is, you know, I'm, I used to know how to use my yeah, hands. Yeah, I, I mean, I, more. I mean, like I said, I mean, this is a great, and for, well, you know, maybe we'll do a part two, but I think this, yeah. is, this is not a simple answer. I don't, I, no, you know, no. I don't, I don't need to love everybody, but I would like to appreciate. Yeah. You don't have to love. Love is a strong word and, and in the gospel, love is used, um, I think a little more literally than the gospels might have meant it. Um, mm. I can appreciate you. I can respect you. I can uh, uh, elevate you without um, destroying you. I can uh, support you and disagree with you. Um, that mm. That's grace to me. That's God's grace mm. to me. Um, but see, also, I guess I'm more informed about my intersectionality. I'm a black queer woman who's in the 1% of education. Um, I know I walk with many blessings. Um, mm. So I try to remember other people are watching me. Mm. Um, other people are patterning what I might do by what they might yeah, do. Yeah. Um, which is, to me, that's another philosophical part of that. Is that fair to us? You and I have been forced in this situation you know, that too, mm -hmm. too much was given, much is required. We followed rules. Yeah. We did follow rules. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I get to break a few more rules than you in some ways because I'm not male. Um, yeah, you got yeah. some privileges more than me because you are male. Yeah, um, absolutely. But um, both informed by certain codes and views of religion. You know, I'm Pentecostal. Mm -hmm. You're Catholic. Um Pentecostals got ways of behavior and, you know, uh, you know, any pastor I ever have, you know, my whole life, I have never behaved. I have never really behaved. <laughs> and so, you know, um, we're not diff that different. Then. Yeah. So, <laughs> yes, this is a, it. I, I distinctly remember, I, I have to cut in just to rem remind yeah. you of this because it was a moment where I just like, it was it was both your way of being in the academy. That truly was like a moment where I was like, I didn't know you could be this way in this space. Because um, that was a lot of what I took from you. You gave me a, a sense in which there was a place to be in an academy that I just had assumed was never going to be a place where I could even remotely find any kind of, you know, home of any kind. And I was okay with it at the time. But I remember one day you're walking down the halls <laughs> and you walked by um, one of the, your colleagues who was a well-known atheist. And you just yell out and be like, 
It's got too many atheists in here. <laughs> <That's pain. laughs> it bothers me. I, I'm, I, I and it just I, rung out and resounded across that whole building. You know, I understand why people might be atheists, but I just, I don't get it. I don't, I just, to me, it makes you soulless. And, and I guess that's cold and, that, you know, and I'll probably get some flack, but I just have, I have to have somebody have some belief. You know, mm-hmm. look, I mean, I'll leave us with one last story. Since we sure. started off with yeah. our bond, let's end with our bond. All right. Because right. it's one that bothers me. You and I enjoyed strange relationships with Dr. Stephen Webb, who was a very interesting, confounding, hypocritical man. But there was no doubt he was a scholar. There was no doubt that he meant to stir the waters by some of the things he did. Uh, There was no doubt he was having an existential crisis um, throughout his life, was in a lot of pain. Um, But when he passed away at the young age of 50, and I know that's young, and the side of him that some people never bothered to know. That I find it ironic that the black woman and the Mexican man stayed his friend and mourned his passing. And the people who would not help us when he was misbehaving completely rejected him and wouldn't even go to his funeral. And that made me forgive Wabash. It made me forgive what happened at Wabash because ultimately I learned there's nobody they wouldn't throw away. And I realized me, you, John, who got banished in our own different ways, never threw a student away from that institution, never threw a colleague away from that institution, and never lost what we believed in, despite their best efforts. And so I know there's good in the world, because I can look at those young men that we changed, that we had an impact on their lives and not from indoctrination, but just from having an open, thrilling discussion. And as I said, we scared those people. We scared those people because what they said was the best education in the world, they really weren't willing to live. They, they wanted it to still be this regimented masters of the universe type thing. I like the men we helped. I like who they are. Um, I appreciate getting a little notices, but sometimes when you said that you have to sometimes give people to get something, and I hate to say Stephen Webb's passing gave me something because that was the quintessential Wabash man. He was the quintessential Wabash man. He was an alum. And in the end, they didn't love him. 
They didn't give him that grace. They didn't let his final walk be about what he was so much invested in, which is Wabash. We, you and I walked away with more investment <laughs> in their ideal than they did. So um, I'm always grateful for our friendship. I'm always grateful for your drive and determination. I came very close to quitting this field. And you don't know this, but you are one of the people that kept me in it. Um, because I know you had a crisis of conscience. You, you would love to be a full-time musician. You would love to do that. And you stayed in this. And, and I said, well, if my boy Sam can stay in this, then I can stay in it and find the things I love to do and do that well as well. It's a challenge, but if I love it, I can do it. So we're, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. Thank you for listening to this episode of Folk Phenomenology Season 2, and special thanks to our special guest, Tracy Salisbury. Folk Phenomenology Season 2 is generously supported by Whippenstock Publishers, St. Mark's College Center for Christian Engagement, Give Us This Day, Solidarity Hall, Black Catholic Messenger, U.S. Catholic, Commonweal Magazine, and the Juan Diego Network. Be sure to see the show notes for links to our sponsors. Also, please share this episode and subscribe on your favorite app or platform, and also find Folk Phenomenology on Twitter and Facebook. Folk Phenomenology is hosted and produced by Sam Rocha, that's me, with a soundtrack by Aaron Ross Hansen. Now go out and love the world. Delexi Mundu. What is interesting to me, really interesting, and I can't define it, is because it's interesting. I can't say exactly what it is, but it's the most interesting, I don't know, word, concept, idea. My job is to somehow make them curious enough or persuade them by hook or crook to get more aware of themselves and where they came from and what they are into and what is already there and just to bring it out. This is what compels me to compel them. And I will do it by whatever means necessary. Love mm-hmm. is where you find it. Mm-hmm. Where you find it. Mm-hmm. Where you find it. Love mm-hmm. is where you find it. And you don't know where you know where it will carry you. And it is a terrifying thing. Love it's the only human possibility, but it's terrifying. Through the eyes of our ears. We see the beauty of hope. We see the beauty of pain. We see the beauty 